0: Section Two of Drake by Alfred Noyes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Cynthia Moyer. Book One. Now through the great doors of the council room, magnificently streamed in rich array the peers of England, regal of aspect and grave their silence waited for the queen. And even now she came, and through their midst, low as they bowed, she passed without a smile, and took her royal seat. A bodeful hush of huge anticipation gripped all hearts, compressed all brows, and loaded the broad noon with gathering thunder. None knew what the hour might yet bring forth but the dark fire of war smouldered in every eye for every day the council met debating how to join honour with peace and every day new tales of english wrongs received from the red hands of that gigantic empire insolent spain spurred fiercer resentments up like steeds revolting on the curb foaming for battle in all men's minds against whatever odds on one side of the throne great walsingham a lion of england couchant watchful calm was now the master of opinion all drew to him Even the hunchback Burley smiled with half-ironic admiration now, as in the presence of the queen they met amid the sweeping splendors of her court, a cynic smile that seemed to say, I, too, would fain regain that forthright heart of fire, yet statesmanship, is but a smoother name for the superior cunning which ensures victory and the queen too knowing her strength and weakness though her woman's heart leaped out to courage yet with woman's craft preferred the subtler strength of Burley, for she knew mary of scotland waited for that war to strike her in the side for rome she knew how many thousands lurked in england still remembering rome and bloody mary's reign france or a wall of bleeding huguenots watched for an hour to strike against all these what shield could england raise this little isle outmatched outnumbered perilously near utter destruction so the long debate proceeded all at once there came a cry along the streets and at the palace gates and at the great doors of the council-room then through the pikes and halberds a voice rose imperative for entrance and the guards made way and a strange whisper surged around and through the piers of england thrilled the blood of agincourt as to the foot of the throne came leicester for behind him as he came a seaman stumbled travel-stained and torn crying for justice and gasped out his tale the spaniards he moaned the inquisition they have taken all oh, my comrades all our crew, and flung them into dungeons. There they lie, waiting for England, waiting for their queen. Will you not free them? I alone am left. All London is afire with it, for this was one of your chief city merchant's ships, the pride of London, one of Osborne's ships. But there is none to help them, i escaped with shrieks of torment ringing in these ears the glare of torture-chambers in these eyes that see no faces anywhere but blind blind faces each a bruise of white that smiles in idiot agony washed with sweat and blood the face of some strange thing that once was man and now can only turn from side to side babbling like a child with mouth agape and crying for help where there is none to hear save those black wizards in the furnace glow moving like devils at their hellish trade he paused his memory sickened his brain swooned back into that wild glare of obscene pain once more to his ears and nostrils horribly crept the hiss and smell of shrivelling human flesh his dumb stare told the rest his head sank down he strove in agony with what all hideous words must leave untold while lester vouched him this man's tale is true. But like a gathering storm a low deep moan of passion like a tiger's slowly crept from the grey lips of Walsingham. My queen, will you not free them? Then Elizabeth, whose name is one for ever with the name of England, rose, and in her face the gleam of justice that makes anger terrible shone and she stretched her glittering sceptre forth and spoke with distant empires in her eyes my lords this is the last cry they shall wring from english lips unheeded we will have such remedies for this as all the world shall tremble at and on that night while drake close in his london lodging lay concealed until he knew if it were peace or war with spain for he had struck on the high seas at spain and well he knew if it were peace his blood would be made witness to that bond and he must die a pirate's death or fly westward once more there all alone he poured by a struggling rushlight or a well-thumbed chart of magic islands in the enchanted seas, dreaming as boys and poets only dream with those that see God's wonders in the deep, perilous visions of those palmy keys, coconut islands, parrot-haunted woods, crisp coral reefs and blue shark-finned lagoons fringed with the creaming foam mile upon mile of mystery dream after dream went by colouring the brown air of that london night with many a mad miraculous romance there suddenly some augury some flash showed him a coming promise a strange hint which though he played with it he scarce believed strange as in some dark cave the first fierce gleam of pirate gold to some forlorn maroon who tiptoes to the heap and glances round askance and dreads to hear what erst he longed to hear some voice to break the hush but bathes both hands with childish laughter in the gold and lets it trickle through his fevered palms and begins counting half a hundred times and loses count each time for sheer delight and wonder in it meantime if he knew passing the cave mouth far away beyond the still lagoon the coral reef the foam and the white fluttering chatter of the birds a sail that might have saved him comes and goes unseen across the blue pacific sea so drake too played with fancies but that sail passed not unseen for suddenly there came a firm and heavy footstep to the door then a loud knocking and at first he thought i am a dead man there is peace with spain and they are come to lead me to my doom but as he looked across one shoulder pride, checking the fuller watch for what he feared the door opened and cold as from the sea the night rushed in and there against the gloom clad as it seemed with wind and cloud and rain There loomed a stately form and high, grim face loaded with deadly thoughts of iron war. Walsingham. In one hand he held a map, marked with red lines. The other hand held down the rich, encrusted hilt of his great sword. Then Drake rose, and the other, cautiously closing the door, drew near the flickering light, and spread his map out on the table saying mark for me here the points whereat the king philip of spain may best be wounded mark the joints of his harness and drake looked at him thinking if he betray me i am dead but the soldier met his eyes and with a laugh drake quivering like a bloodhound in the leash, stooped, with his finger pointing, thus and thus. Here would I guard, here would I lie in wait, here would I strike him through the breast and throat. And as he spoke he kindled, and began to set forth his great dreams, and high romance rose like a moon reflecting the true sun unseen and as the full round moon indeed rising behind a mighty mountain chain will shadow forth in outline grim and black its vast and ragged edges so that moon of high romance rose greatly shadowing forth the grandeur of his dreams until their might dawned upon walsingham and he too saw for a moment of muffled moonlight and wild cloud the vision of the imperious years to be but suddenly drake paused as one who strays beyond the bounds of caution paused and cursed his tongue for prating like a moonstruck boy's i am mad he cried i am mad to babble so then Walsingham drew near him with strange eyes, and muttered slowly, Write that madness down, aye, write it down, that madman's plan of thine. Sign it, and let me take it to the Queen. But the weather-wiser seaman warily answered him, If it please, almighty God, to take away our Queen Elizabeth, Seeing that she is mortal as ourselves. England might then be leagued with Spain, and I should here have sealed my doom. I will not put my pen to paper. So, across the charts, with that dim light on each grim countenance, the seaman and the courtier subtly fenced with words and thoughts, but neither would betray his whole heart to the other. At the last, Walsingham gripped the hand of francis drake and left him wondering on the third night came a messenger from walsingham who bade drake to the palace where without one word the statesman met him in an anteroom and led him with flushed cheek and beating heart along a mighty gold gloomed corridor into a high arched chamber hung with tall curtains of gold-fringed silk and tapestries from flanders looms whereon were flowers and beasts and forest work great knights with hawk on hand riding forever on their glimmering steeds through bowery glades to some immortal face beyond the fairy fringes of the world a silver lamp swung softly overhead fed with some perfumed oil that shed abroad delicious light and fragrances as rare as those that stirred faint wings at eventide through the king's house in lebanon of old into a quietness as of fallen bloom their feet sank in that chamber and all round soft hills of moorish cushions dimly drowsed on glimmering crimson couches. Near the lamp an ebony chessboard stood, inlaid with squares of ruby and emerald, garnished with sink-foils of silver, bears, and ragged staves. The men, likewise of precious stones, were all arrayed, bishops and knights and elephants and pawns, as for a game sixteen of them were set in silver white the other sixteen gilt now as drake gazed upon an arras nigh the farther doors whereon was richly wrought the picture of that grave and lovely queen penelope with cold hands weaving still the unending web while in an outer court the broad-limbed wooers basking in the sun on purple fleeces took from white-armed girls, up to the knee, the crimson wine. There as he gazed and thought, is this not like our Queen Elizabeth, who waits and weaves Penelope of England, her dark web, unendingly till England's empire come? There as he gazed for a moment, he could vow the pictured Arras moved well had it been had he drawn sword and pierced it through and through but he suspected nothing and said naught to walsingham for thereupon they heard the sound of a low lute and a sweet voice carolling like a gold-caged nightingale caught by the fowler's ere he found his mate and singing all his heart out evermore To the unknown forest love he ne'er should see and walsingham smiled sadly to himself knowing the weary queen had bidden some maid sing to her even as david sang to saul since all her heart was bitter with her love or so it was breathed and there the chessboard stood her love's device upon it though she still for england's sake must keep great foreign kings her suitors wedding no man till she died nor did she know how in her happiest hour remembered now most sorrowfully the moon vicegerent of the sky through summer dews as that sweet ballad tells in plaintive rhyme silvering the grey old cumnor towers and all the hollow haunted oaks that grew thereby gleamed on a casement whence the pure white face of amy robsart wife of leicester wife unknown of the queen's lover a frail bar to that proud earl's ambition quietly gazed and heard the night owl hoot a dark presage of murder through her timid, shuddering heart. But of that deed Elizabeth knew not, nay, white as Amy Robsart in her dream of love, she listened to the sobbing lute, bitterly happy, proudly desolate. So heavy are all earth's crowns, and sharp with thorns. But tenderly that high-born maiden sang now the purple night is past now the moon more faintly glows dawn has through thy casement cast roses on thy breast a rose. now the kisses are all done now the world awakes anew now the charmed hour is gone let not love go too when old winter creeping nigh sprinkles raven hair with white dims the brightly glancing eye laughs away the dancing light roses may forget their sun lilies may forget their dew beauties perish one by one let not love go too palaces and towers of pride crumble Year by year away, creeds, like robes, are laid aside. Even our very tombs decay. When the all-conquering moth and rust gnaw the goodly garment through, When the dust returns to dust, let not love go too. Kingdoms melt away like snow, gods are spent like wasting flames hardly the new peoples know their divine thrice worshipped names at the last great hour of all when thou makest all things new father hear thy children call let not love go too the song ceased all was still and now it seemed power brooded on the silence and drake saw a woman come to meet him tall and pale and proud she seemed behind her head two wings as of some mighty phantom butterfly glimmered with jewel sparks in the gold gloom her small pure grey-eyed face above her ruff was chiselled like an agate and he knew it was the queen low bent he o'er her hand and ah she said sir francis walthingham hath told me what an english heart beats here know you what injuries the king of spain hath done us drake looked up at her she smiled we find you apt will you not be our knight for we are helpless witchingly she smiled we are not ripe for war our policy must still be to uphold the velvet cloak of peace but i would have it mask the hand that holds the dagger will you not unfold your scheme to us and then with a low bow walsingham at a signal from the queen withdrew and she looked down at drake and smiled and in his great simplicity the man spake all his heart out like some youthful knight before his Gloriana, his heart burned, knowing he talked with England face to face, and suddenly the Queen bent down to him, England bent down to him, and his heart reeled with the beauty of her presence, for, indeed, women alone have royal power like this within their very selves enthroned and shrined to draw men's hearts out royal she bent down and touched his hand for a moment friend she said looking into his face with subtle eyes i have searched thy soul tonight and know full well how i can trust thee canst thou think that i the daughter of my royal father lack the fire which every boor in england feels burning within him as the bloody score which spain writes on the flesh of englishmen mounts higher day by day am i not tudor i am not deaf or blind nor yet a king i am a woman and a queen and where kings would have plunged into their red revenge, Or set their throne up on this temporal shore, As flatterers bade that wiser king Canute, Thence to command the advancing tides of battle, Till one ensanguined sea whelm throne and king and kingdom, Friend, I take my woman's way smile in mine enemies faces with a heart all hell and undermine them hour by hour this island scarce can fend herself from france and now spain holds the keys of all the world how should we fight her save that my poor wit hath won the key to philip o i know his treacherous lecherous heart and hour by hour my nets are drawing round him i that starve my public armies feed his private foes nourish his rebels in the netherlands nay sacrifice mine own poor woman's heart to keep him mine and surely now stands fate with hand uplifted by the doors of spain ready to knock the time is close at hand when i shall strike once and no second stroke remember friend though kings have fought for her this england with the trident in her grasp was ever woman and she waits her throne and thou canst speed it furnish thee with ships Gather thy gentlemen adventurers, and be assured thy parsimonious queen, oh, aye, she knows that chattering of the world, will find thee wealth enough, then put to sea, fly the black flag of piracy awhile against these blackest foes of all mankind. Nay, what hast thou to do with piracy? hostis humani generis indeed is spain she dwells beyond the bounds of law thine is no piracy whate'er men say thou art a knight on gloriana's quest oh lay that golden unction to thy soul this is no piracy but glorious war waged for thy country and for all mankind therefore put out to sea without one fear. Ransack their Eldorados of the West, pillage their golden galleons, sap their strength even at its utmost fountains, let them know that there is blood, not water, in our veins. Sail on, my captain, to the glorious end, and, though at first thou needs must sail alone, and undefended ere that end be reached when i shall give the word nay but one word all england shall be up and after thee the sword of england shall shine over thee and round about thee like a guardian fire all the great soul of england shall be there her mighty dead shall at that cry of doom rise from their graves and in god's panoply plunge with our standards through immortal storms when drake rides out across the wreck of rome as yet we must be cautious let no breath escape thee save to thy most trusted friends for now if my lord Burley heard one word of all thou hast in mind He is so much the friend of caution and the beaten road, he would not rest till he had spilled thy hopes and sealed thy doom. Go now, fit out thy ships. Walsingham is empowered to give thee gold, immediately, but look to him for more, as thou shalt need it, gold, and gold to spare. My golden-hearted pilot to the shores of victory so farewell and through the gloom she vanished as she came and drake groped dazed out through the doors and found great walsingham awaiting him with gold but in the room where drake had held his converse with the queen the embroidered arras moved and a lean face white with its long eavesdropping upon death crept out and peered As a venomous adder peers from out dark ferns, then as the reptile flashes along a path between two banks of flowers, almost too swift for sight, a stealthy form, one of the fifty spies whom Burley paid, passed down the gold-gloomed corridor to seek his master, whom among great books he found, calm, like a mountain brooding o'er the sea. Nor did he break that calm for all these winds of rumour that now burst from out the sky. His brow bent like a cliff over his thoughts, and the spy watched him half-resentfully, thinking his news well worth a blacker frown. At last the statesman smiled and answered, Go! Fetch Thomas Doughty! LESTER'S SECRETARY Few suns had risen and set ere Francis Drake had furnished forth his ships with guns and men, tried seamen that he knew in storms of old, Will Harvest, who could haul the ropes and fight all day and sing a forecastle song to cheer sea-weary hearts at night, Brave old Tom Moon, the carpenter whose faithful soul looked up to drake's large mastery with a mastiff's eyes and three score trusty mariners all scarred and weather-beaten after these there came some two score gentlemen adventurers gay college lads or lawyers that had grown sick of the dusty temple and were fired with tales of the rich indies and those tall Enchanted galleons drifting through the west, laden with ingots and broad bars of gold. Already some had bought at a great price green birds of Guatemala, which they wore on their slouched hats, tasting the high romance and new-found colours of the world like wine. By night they gathered in a marvellous inn, beside the black and secret flowing Thames and joyously they tossed the magic phrase pieces of eight from mouth to mouth, and laughed, and held the red wine up night after night around their tables, toasting Francis Drake. Among these came a courtier, and none knew or asked by whose approval, for each thought some other brought him, yet he made his way cautiously being a man with a smooth tongue, the secretary of Leicester, and his name was Thomas Doughty. Most of all, with Drake, he won his way to friendship, till at last there seemed one heart between them and one soul. End of Book One